0: Uh, Romans 5, 1 through 11. Hold on. Actually, I've got lots of water. That's for later, so just, just stay with me on that one. Romans 5 through 11, we come to this really amazing section of Romans. Romans 5, 1 through 11 is both a summary of what Paul has been arguing for four chapters. But it's also, it's also, and this is what's amazing, it's also a summary of what he is going to spend the rest of chapter 5 all the way through chapter 8 unpacking. And it really does, this whole uh, four chapters, 5 through 8, really does show us with clarity what is the hope of our salvation. If you would, just stand together with me for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Please be seated. Father, again, we come before you and we ask that you would take these brief moments that we have. We pray that you would do more than all we could ask or even imagine. As you send this word out, again, we ask that you would do all that you intend by it, all that you have purposed in it. Pray that you would strengthen, we pray that you would comfort, we pray that you would convict We pray that you would console, Lord, we pray that you would kill us and you would raise us up by this word, in Christ's name, amen. So I was watching this show uh, not uh, not too long ago, and it was a video about the most dangerous rides in the world. And one particular ride was interesting to me. Did you guys see that picture I sent? Oh, there it is. One particular ride. This one. This ride. It was a crazy ride. Right? You can see the little arms there. It goes round and round and round. And then you've got the things on the end. Right? Not only does the arm go round and round in a circle, but those things spin on their axis. It's a crazy ride, but alas, it had to be shut down. There was a problem, but the problem wasn't with the ride. The problem was this, that that ride was in an amusement park that was located in a town in southwest Germany. Yeah. Oh, yeah, perspective changes everything, right? After a video of the Adlerflung, the eagle's flight, that's what that means, in case you don't know German. (laughs) After that was posted online, it was quickly recognized or pointed out that the rides, eagle-shaped cars, those are the ones on the end, at a particular angle, had a strong resemblance to a swastika. And that's illegal. The maker, he didn't see it. He didn't see it until it was set in a whole different context, a whole new perspective. And in that light, the ride had to go actually it was redesigned and it really looked hokey then cuz it was just two little cars and it was it just went away nobody wanted to ride it anymore but perspective changed everything you can you can take it down now so but you as the people of god you have a new perspective we've been talking about that you guys talked about that actually this weekend. In fact, you're going to hear a lot, I would imagine, of the same stuff that you heard this weekend. You're going to hear that this morning. You have a whole new perspective. You, as the people of God, experience reality in a wholly different way. It's been forever changed. Your experience of reality, quite literally, has been transformed Both in terms of space and time. You experience, you the people of God, experience all reality right now through this lens, through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul tells us here. We experience everything now through our Lord Jesus Christ. And from this perspective, We discover incredible blessings, all the incredible blessings that flow to you as God's people, flow to you from the past into the present and out into your future. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have, and these are the ones that we'll start with, peace, Grace, hope, and love. That's what Paul unpacks for us in five verses. That's what Paul unpacks for us. So we'll start here, the past. Paul grounds what he's about to say in chapter 5, verse 1. He grounds it all in the past. In fact, he's pointing... Immediately back to chapter 4, verses 23 and 25, we touched on that last week, I'll just read it. It says, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, remember that's Abraham, but for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, and this is why, this is who Jesus is, he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification." Those two verses bring resolution to something that Paul said way back in chapter 1, verses 18 and following. Remember, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. There, in verse 24, verse 26, verse 28, Paul repeated a refrain about humanity. Something that God did with humanity in successive steps. He handed them over. He handed you over. And there was this increase in the intensity, the severity of this handing over to the point where the thoughts of man had been reduced, given to worthless things, idols. That's the idea. No longer able to examine and discern what's real, what's true. Our unrighteousness, if you look there, led us deeper and deeper into this bondage, this enslavement to sin. That's what Paul was arguing. And that, we'll see later on, is what it means to be in Adam, to be enslaved, to be in that kingdom of death, in darkness, locked away, trapped. But here, at the very end of chapter 4, Paul says, Jesus did something with that. We got handed over, same word, here it says Christ handed over for our trespasses. In the same way that the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts at Passover caused the destroyer To pass by and not enter, to strike them down. So Christ's death, Christ's death turns away God's wrath. Again, what we're seeing play out in Romans 1. And not just that, Christ is handed over for our trespasses, our rebellion, and he's raised for our justification. Christ doesn't stay dead. It turns out that's a good thing. Christ is delivered from death and darkness. He is from death and darkness. When he is raised, Christ is vindicated by his Father, which means he is shown to be in the right with God. Unlike God's son, Adam. Unlike God's son, son, Israel, God's son, Jesus, by his very life, by his very death, demonstrated faithfulness to God. Jesus was faithful. His faithfulness, and this is the real kicker, right? God's plan, his faithfulness, his life and his death, was in fact faithfulness to the way that God had planned to deliver a people for himself from that kingdom of darkness. His faithfulness to the way God planned to vindicate, vindicate a people for himself, to draw a people out. It's important that you get that because everything else that Paul is going to say is going to unpack what that means. This is a historical event grounded in a history Life, death, resurrection of Christ. And in that, Christ opens the way to this new covenant, this relationship with God. He defeated death and Satan. He delivered a people from the kingdom of darkness. He brought a people into his kingdom. That's Colossians chapter 1. And based on what Christ has accomplished, this is what Paul says... In verse 1 of 5, we have been justified by faith. You have been justified by faith. That's a past tense reality. By the faithfulness of Christ, all who trust in Christ and his faithfulness can claim what Paul has been arguing this whole time. You can claim, because of that faithfulness of Christ, trusting in Him, you can claim to be the people of God. This is the key. This is the key to history. This unlocks everything. Christ's faithfulness opens the way for you to be the people of God. And that is to say this. You can sit here and say right now together that you have been accepted into covenant with God. You belong to Him. He belongs to you. You can sit here and say right now because of Christ's faithfulness that you've been forgiven, acquitted of your trespasses. You can say because of the faithfulness of Christ that you have been delivered from this other kingdom and that you have been brought in to his kingdom, the kingdom of his son. And Paul says, since all of that is true, because that is true, there are blessings that flow to you, God's people, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The first of those is peace and grace. Peace and grace. I start with those because those it's hard to separate those two. Peace and grace. In the latter part of verse 1 on into 2, listen to this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 2, the first part, through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have peace with God. We've alluded to that. we kind of to get an idea of that already, of what it means from Romans 1, 18 and following again. When we look at the relationship with God through Romans 1, we certainly don't see peace. We see warring parties. And really, it's important that you situate yourself in this context. We see warring parties fuming with hostility. Humanity refusing God. I mean, like, literally, like, I mean, going to great lengths to push down, to get rid of any knowledge of Him at all. God handing Humanity over. But here, what Paul is saying, we see that the the, uh, the the excuse me, the hostility ends. The hatred is over. You have been brought back together with God. That's peace. That's what Christ has done for you. He's restored that peace, the chasm has been closed and with that we also have access into his grace in which we stand so you've not just been brought back together to you've been brought in right this is spatial stuff space you've been brought in that word access, right? it's sort of like the word in the Old Testament for drawing near to God, drawing near in worship, drawing near with sacrifice or the sacrifice, drawing near. When you think about this, think Moses coming into that tabernacle. I don't know if you remember the story in Exodus where the cloud comes down and fills up the tabernacle, speaking to Moses face to face. That's you now. Now, everybody didn't get to do that before. Moses, the priest, right? You think about that. But that's you now. Coming into this new space, this place of grace. It's like Christ has brought you into this amazing room. Or better, it's like Christ has brought you into a temple. Oh, wait a minute. You are. Together, all of you, as you sit here, holding fast to Christ, together, there is this temple that we are. And now, together, we have this constant access, and I love the way that one writer puts it, this constant access to the very presence of the sustaining love of God. Always. We stand in that grace together. I keep stressing that, because it's not just you. It's not just you. It does not happen, that does not happen to you in isolation. We've been brought together into a body. And I don't just mean like crosspoint, because there are lots of churches here. I don't just mean that. I mean the body of Christ. That's what he's talking here. People of God, stop just for a moment. Just stop for a moment and take in where you are now how long has that been I think it's easy for us to just assume peace we assume grace sometimes we we sort of think that we have to move from there and get on with other stuff. How, how long has it been since you really reflected on the reality, the fact that you are not at enmity with God? That war is over. that peace has come, that you have this presence right here. And I don't want to assume, perhaps, also, you don't know this reality that I'm talking about. What does that mean for you? if you don't know this God, here you have this reconciliation that you are hearing now. What will that mean for you? I would say the same thing to you whether you know this reality or not. I would say this, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Whether you have been walking with the Lord for 40, 50, 60 years, or whether this is the first time you've heard of this through our Lord Jesus Christ perspective, this reality. Come to Christ. There is peace, there is grace through Him. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we also have hope. So we've looked at the past, we're looking at what you have now, peace, grace, hope. And then this is also connected to the future, but it's also now. You'll see how that works. Paul mentions this hope in the rest of verse 2. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul doesn't just say we have hope. There is a content to this hope. That phrase, hope of the glory of God. The Good News Bible captures actually the sense of this really well. I'll read it, verse 1 and 2, listen to this, or 2. He has brought us by faith into this experience of God's grace in which we now live, and here it is, and so we boast of the hope we have of sharing God's glory. I told you that 5, 1 through 11 is kind of a snapshot of what you're going to see Paul unpack in the rest of 5 all the way through 8. Well, this is in chapter 8. And this is just a little teaser of what he says. In verse 8:19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free when It'll be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He's he's talking about what we experience in fullness then, though we have it now. Again, Romans 1, humanity exchanged the glory of God. Remember that? exchanged the glory of God for images of man and animals. We didn't worship and serve God like we were created to as image bearers. We worshiped and served man and beast, idols. Our being in the image of God was not lost, but it was distorted. This is what Romans 3 means when it says, we all fall short of the glory of God. And our hope, Paul says, is that Christ has restored that. Christ has restored it. And we will worship and serve him without hindrance and will know his fullness, the fullness of his presence then. We don't just have that hope But Paul says, we boast in that hope. We rejoice in that hope. Or one writer says this, that we hope with joyful confidence. Or better, another writer says this really captures it. We celebrate in hope of sharing in God's glory. Either way, this this isn't simply the expression of some wish or desire. We celebrate in the certain anticipation of the consummation. And that's just a big word that means God is going to restore all things. And we will know, we'll we'll be shot through with the fullness of His being. We'll be able to serve Him, worship Him without hindrance. We don't just have that hope. What about now? What about now? We have, we celebrate this hope of then, but we come back to now because Paul knows, just like you know, that we're not there then yet. We are here now. So, what about now? And that's the crazy thing about God's plan. Then, then, actually, Impacts now. Oh, let me say it this way. Now doesn't undermine then. Then shapes now. Paul says this in verse 3. He says, not only that, we, we don't just celebrate in hope of sharing in God's glory. Not only that. Listen to this. We rejoice in our sufferings now. We rejoice in our sufferings now. Celebrating the consummation and resurrection makes sense, but rejoicing in our sufferings, rejoicing in our afflictions right now. Because I love this part because this is where you live right now. Suffering, affliction. I know some of you are experiencing suffering and affliction. You know why? Because you know what it is for your body to get old. You know what it is to be sick. You know what it is to walk out and freeze. This isn't just about when you are being persecuted for your faith. That's not just what... Everything that we're experiencing right now is a part of this fallen world. You know suffering now. And, And we're rejoicing, we're celebrating, not in spite of the suffering. And it's not simply in the midst of the suffering. Paul means what he's saying here, we rejoice in it. We rejoice in it. And there's a reason for that. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that is possible. Because, and this is what Paul says in the next part of that verse, you rejoice in your sufferings knowing that you know something because of where you stand through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know that something is possible. Or better this, how about this? You know someone. You believe in the God who gives life to the dead. that sound familiar? You know Him. You know that same God with whom you have peace, that same God in whose presence you stand right now in a place of grace. That God, that God can do something with suffering too. He does something with suffering too. And suffering, what he does with it, produces endurance. Endurance or perseverance. Some of you, some of you, may be like me, resolved to work out. Yeah, I haven't either yet. But if you're, if, you're, if you're one of the committed type and you have gotten started, you know what that's like. Every part of it, getting up, getting dressed, going to the gym or out to the garage, lifting weights, running, whatever it is, Right, all of that is, are forms of resistance to you. All of it is hard. And each time you do it, with every stride, with every repetition, you stress your muscles, you stress your lungs, and you know what that does? It strengthens you. Your body becomes more efficient and all of that stuff. The idea is that through suffering over and over and over and over again, We return again and again to God. To this one that we have peace with. To this one that is right here. We return to him over and over and over, trusting him. We return to him asking questions. We return to him crying out to him. We return over and over seeking him in our adversity. And through that process, we learn, we develop this capacity, this strange capacity to stand. We learn to stand, to stay put, as one writer said, to stand firm. This is not a, a, a form of... of, of um, uh, a Pollyanna-ish view of life where we just go, no, it's good, and that's not the same thing. It's not. I mean, you, we could say, yes, God is indeed good, and you may, in fact, smile. But what we're talking about here is not the same thing as pretending like nothing happened to you. God doesn't do that. And God doesn't call you to do that. What we're talking about, what Paul is talking about here, is you being able to look at the pain, to smell it for what it is. while you hold fast to him. That is what we're talking about. That's the ability that suffering produces in endurance. And then Paul adds this, endurance produces character. The repetition of that process over and over and over Yields character, and it's a certain type of character, which sort of goes with the endurance thing. And you know this, it's this tested and tried character. Tested and tried. That's the sense of it, this idea of a solid rock, maybe in the same way that your heart becomes more efficient in the circulation of blood and your muscles become more toned. This is what happens to you as you're tried and tested. And you know what being tried and tested does? You know what the outcome of that is? We're right back to where we started. Character produces hope. we're right back there again. That is the amazing thing about the God that you have been brought into relationship with is that he can take all of this mess and it only serve to strengthen your confidence and your trust in him. And as God responds to you more and more to this tried and tested response of yours, faith and hope are strengthened. This is, what it, this is really kind of what it sounded like with Abraham. Remember that? Abraham was looking at his dead body. He was looking at Sarah's dead womb. And it says, that he didn't weaken in faith, but he grew strong. Same thing Paul talks about here with hope. And he rounds out with this last blessing. You have love. And it's not insignificant. Paul says in verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Our hope is not going to disappoint us. Your hope is not going to disappoint you. This hope, this anticipation, this confidence of what God is going to do in restoring you to what you were made to be. And with that, the world, that hope will not disappoint. Or, or, or another way to think of this is that that hope that you have, is you shouldn't be ashamed of it. You don't have to be ashamed of it. Why? 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 Because God gives you a gift Himself, Holy Spirit. And you know what that Holy Spirit does? It dwells in us together. It dwells, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. A people. Think that first. You get in on that because you have been made part of the people of God. Christ's body. I want you to just think about this. Think about the person that you love most right now. The person that you share the most intimate love with. And it's not like this. This God is in you. As much as you would love for that person that you love to be able to read your mind so that they would do exactly what you want at the time that you want it. Can't do it. But God, He does get in here. In here. Closer then you could, I don't even know, I don't even know how to, how to, how to make sense of that. And you know what that spirit does, that presence of that spirit, something happens. The love of God is poured out into your hearts. That's what happens. Hope doesn't disappoint. You don't have to be ashamed of it because the very God that gives you that hope is in you and is pouring his love into you. Okay, this is what it looks like. I'm not a magician. Here's you. Here's the people. You, the people of God. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. You know, I'd have to keep doing that over and over again. You know why? Because it never ends. Never. That's why he says poured. Because it just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. No end. Because there is no end to God. And no end to his love. Imagine this God's love, fully present, never ending, overflowing. That's what you have. People of God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, from that perspective, your life comes together in a way that It never could without Him. Our past justification, our present peace and grace and hope and this future. This future. The glory of God. All of that is yours. We have all of that in Him. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for Your word, we thank you for these amazing gifts that you have given us in your son. Father, I pray that as your people, we would long for this. I pray that you would give us a taste of this. I pray that you would shake us and wake us up from autopilot. Wake us up from our assumption that these things that happened were well, they're good, but they're past. Oh Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us, grant to us this communion that you have won for us. Make us to know it more and more. In Christ's name, amen.